Welcome to Follow Him, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping individuals and families with their Come Follow Me study. I'm Hank Smith. And I'm John, by the way. We love to learn. We love to laugh. We want to learn and laugh with you. As together, we follow Him. Hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Welcome to Follow Him. My name is Hank Smith. I am here with my jolly co-host, John, (laughs) by the way. I love Jolly Ranchers. Thank you. (laughs) You are jolly. You are jolly. It is Christmas here at Follow Him, and we want to wish everybody uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. And I knew there was one guest that would make this Christmas Follow Him episode just perfect. He was actually born on Christmas himself. Tell us... uh, Tell us, John, who we have with us. Yes, I'm so excited to have uh, Dr. Bradley Wilcox back with us. Uh, Brother Wilcox, our friend, and I was excited to have him on Christmas. Brad wrote a little book called Because of the Messiah in a Manger. And so we thought it'd be perfect to have Brad. And many of you have already heard him. I'm just going to read his bio again, a a short one in the back of this book. Uh, Brad Wilcox is an associate professor in the Department of Ancient Scripture at Brigham Young University, where he also enjoys teaching at Campus Education Week, especially for youth. Uh, Now they're going to call that FSY. Uh, He speaks at Time Out for Women events, is the author of The Continuous Atonement, The Continuous Conversion, The Seven-Day Christian, the BYU devotional, His Grace is Sufficient. I, I have my students watch that for extra credit. Um, in 2018, his book, Changed Through His Grace, received the Harvey B. Susan Easton Black Outstanding Publication Award for LDS Scholarship. And our listeners know who Susan Easton Black is too. As a young man, Brad served his mission in Chile and in 2003 returned to that country to preside over the Chile Santiago East Mission for three years. Brad, tell us the difference between Chile and Chile. Am I saying that right? Well, in Spanish, they say Chile, and in English, we say Chile. So, depends on whether you're speaking English or Spanish. Um, It's a great place, though. I I was excited when I heard that this podcast is ranked number four in the country of Chile uh, for Christian podcasts. And that's exciting to me because it's not even being translated into Spanish. So that means people are listening to it in English and getting the Spanish transcript. But it's exciting to me to think that some of the friends that I have there, some of our dear friends in Chile are able to listen to this podcast. So if you're there in Chile, Feliz Navidad, que Dios les bendiga, que tengan un año nuevo muy feliz. He said something beautiful there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Brad. No idea what you said. Uh, <laughs> so Brad had served on the Sunday School General Board, and he is now the second counselor in the Young Men's General Presidency. And uh, a lot of us uh, listening will remember his talk in this just the past general conference at the time of this recording. Worthiness is not flawlessness, and just a beautiful talk. So we love you, Brad, and love so much having you back. Well, it's wonderful to be with you, especially at Christmas. Now, before we get into our lesson, Brad, I have to ask about having a birthday on Christmas. Tell us, tell us about, <laughs> tell us about your childhood, and and tell us, tell us what what that was like. Did you just think the whole world was celebrating? Um, <laughs> <laughs> for you it's funny. Yeah. yeah my mom and dad used to hang a sign in our house that said uh, "Happy Birthday to Jesus and Brad." 
<laughs> so I always felt like I was in good company. Right. Um, my mom is the one that, that said how my birth certainly changed her views of Christmas. She said, you know, she'd always grown up with these beautiful manger scenes and Mary in her blue robe. And she says, boy, having you on Christmas sure sure blew that image for me. She said, I realized that Mary was certainly not there serenely, uh, you know, pondering. Mary was having a baby and that her blue robe certainly wasn't nice and clean. Um, my mom went into labor on the 24th and then I was born on the 25th. And, and she said, Boy, she said, uh, suddenly the the whole nativity scene took on new meaning for me, for sure. And she said one of the most uh, startling realizations for her was that the song is wrong, Away in a Manger. She said, in our hymn book, it says anonymous. She says, well, anonymous never had a baby because she <laughs> says... She she just never liked the line that said, a little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. She said, obviously, Anonymous never had a baby because babies cry and you cried a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it would be funny to see a nativity one day that has baby Jesus screaming and... <laughs> <laughs> And, and poor Joseph trying to clean up the stable and and uh, Mary exhausted after the birth. I mean, maybe that's the real picture that my mom finally had in her head. And, uh, and she said it changed Christmas for her, but in a positive way, because she realized that it was real. It wasn't just a story. She said suddenly the birth of this baby became very real to her. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a really nice experience to, to have that birthday and just, uh, be able to have a little extra sparkle in the season, uh, and, uh, and to, and to be able to have that connection with Mary and with Jesus. It's been kind of a special thing through the years. We, we have a daughter, Brad, you know, Natalie, who uh, was born December 27th, and uh, her name is Natalie Noel because of, she was so close to, and I think Natalie means Christmas girl or something like that. So, we My also, brother's named Chris, and I'm named Brad. I said, Mom, why didn't you name me Chris? That would have been perfect for Christmas. And she said, well, we'd figure, we figured you'd, you'd have enough trauma with the Christmas birthday. You didn't need more. <laughs> Didn't you have two trees at your house, Brad? Oh yeah, we had, my mom and dad would always put up one Christmas tree for Jesus and one birthday tree for me. And so in our house we still have those two trees. We have one for me and one for Jesus and and we're and then the, the my brothers were supposed to put a gift for me under each tree. And then that way my birthday wouldn't be forgotten. Um and it worked great until my brother uh, one year bought me a pair of mittens and he put one under the Christmas tree and one under the birthday tree. <laughs> and and lot, you know, the Chris. funny thing is that he did it again last year. He showed up <laughs> at my house with two birthday, with a birthday present and a Christmas present. And when I unwrapped him on Christmas morning, it was a pair of socks. <laughs> <laughs> one in one, one in one box. 
Kind of ruins the su- birthday surprise. You, got, you know what's coming. Uh, I, John, I didn't know you had a baby born on the 27th. So do we. But I remember I was the one telling Sarah on Christmas. I'm like, sit still. Don't move. <laughs> don't walk anywhere. <laughs> um, Brad wrote a book about Christmas. And so did you, John. You wrote a book about Christmas called Born This Happy Morning. Tell me, Here's tell me Brad's. about it. Oh, that... That was just so fun to, I just was inspired by that line from, O come all ye faithful, yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. And I just, uh, so many things about Christmas, the anticipation the whole world had for for Jesus coming and what that would mean. What a happy morning, you know, even though what we've just discussed in a manger and everything else, but for that to finally happen, I think of the the those in the new world that had the sign of light given and that the light of the world was coming and so uh thanks uh hank for throwing that out there oh i i love that book i love the way that you have reminded us of so many christmas memories in that book well thank you i'm glad you did yours oh and the other thing we ought to do is we probably ought to say happy birthday to the prophet joseph smith since it is our Doctrine and Covenants year uh, this year, and Joseph Smith was born on December twenty third. I remember, I remember that as a kid and thinking we ought to celebrate that a little bit, right? It's a wonderful connection, and what a happy Christmas that must have made for the Smiths. Let's move into our lesson, and then if we want to keep laughing and joking, I'm sure our listeners <laughs> won't mind. I kind of expected this as I opened up the lesson in the manual this week to talk about Christmas, but interestingly. Um, we really spend most of our lesson in the, the living Christ document. Uh, so that's where we're going to spend our time today, Brad. We'll kind of let you take off, and, and John and I will just, will just be here as eager students, ready to learn. I think it's a very appropriate thing to be studying at Christmas time because that was the realization my mom had when she had me on Christmas. Hey, this is real. This was a real thing. This was a real birth. These were real people. And the living Christ document certainly reminds us that Jesus is real and that he is alive. He's not a little baby in a manger. He's not hanging on a cross. He is resurrected. He is alive. And he is leading this church today. And that's a beautiful thing to be thinking about and studying at Christmas time. As I started thinking about where we got the Living Christ document, it was actually a birthday present for Jesus. It was President Nelson who said that they they put this document together at on the in the year 2000 and it was he said we did it as a as a birthday present for the Lord. And I think that's a a nice, a nice uh, connection to to make as well. Um, President Nelson first did the the uh, document in the church news. Elder Nelson at that time was explaining that the most sacred thing that they felt like they could contribute was their testimony of the living Christ as the literal Son of God, as they were thinking about this change in, you know, from the year 1999 to the year 2000. Just as the ancient apostles, including Peter, James, and John, Paul, just as they testified of Christ, Elder Nelson said that 
their words lived long after their death. And he said, we wanted to leave something that would get into the hearts of people and endure even beyond the life of those testifiers. It's interesting that of all the apostles and prophets who signed that document, today there's only five who are still living. And so, President Nelson's words were right on target. This document has outlived and kept the testimony alive of so many of the brethren who signed it. But today, we still have President Nelson, President Oaks, President Eyring, Elder Ballard, who's the president, acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve, and Jeffrey R. Holland, Elder Holland. And so they are still with us. Um, and this document is of infinite worth, says President Nelson. He says, this is the reason my great-grandparents and yours joined the church. This is why converts are coming into the church now. It's not because of our programs or procedures. It's because we are rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to find out a little bit more about President Nelson's experience, and I did. I found it out in uh, the book Insights, beautiful book by Sherry Dew about the prophet, highlighting high points in his life. And he lists this as a high point in his life. He says, as the year 2000 approached, and thus the 2000th celebration of the birth of the Son of God, the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve discussed what, if anything, they should do to commemorate the turning of the century. With all the Y2K predictions of possible digital catastrophes and associated hoopla, these prophets, seers, and revelators felt that they who had been called to bear witness of Jesus Christ throughout all the world, should do something different, something distinctive. And then President Nelson, Elder Nelson at the time, was assigned to oversee the project, which included shepherding the document through to completion. So, yeah, this is a wonderful celebration of the Savior, but it's also a tribute to our prophet who shepherded this project through. And this was back in the year 2000. Now we're in 2021, and I hope he's still here 20 more years from now. I just, I just love him. Now, President uh, Ballard has also written about this experience. He, uh, he wrote in in the biography that just came out on his life, he says, during this momentous dedication celebration, uh, the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve stood dressed in white before the statues of the historic, statues for a historic photograph. Now, this is the celebration of the dedication of the Rome Temple. And he says, additionally, as special witnesses to the world of the divinity of Jesus Christ, the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve, he says, shared their testimony of the Savior by recording excerpts from the document, The Living Christ, the Testimony of the Apostles, originally released in 2000. When they had gathered in Rome for that dedication, they actually recorded 
parts of the living Christ. You can find that video on YouTube. We'll, we'll link it in our show notes. Uh, I, I was just watching that just the other day, and it's beautiful. President Ballard said in, in a talk called Return and Receive, President Ballard said, the living Christ, the testimony of the apostles, was presented to the church on January 1st, 2000. Place a copy where you can see it and take time to review each of the statements found in this inspired testimony of Christ by his special witnesses who signed it. So, he's asking us to do exactly what we're doing today. I have a copy of the living Christ hanging in my study, and he's asking us to review this document, and that's what we're doing. He says, prayerfully reading the living Christ is like reading the testimonies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the prophets of the Book of Mormon. It will increase your faith in the Savior and help you stay focused on Him as you follow your plans to reach your eternal goals. Isn't that a beautiful promise from Elder Ballard? Just beautiful. I was thinking as I was preparing for this that so often uh, stuff like this, um, documents like this become decoration, right? They become something we put on the wall and it represents what we believe, but Sometimes we don't read them. <laughs> we just leave them there on the wall. Uh, and maybe we should take the time to uh, take the time to read them. Now, I wanted to mention one thing before we go into the document, and that is I, I had a little moment as I was studying this week uh, where I, I got a little caught, you know, that little feeling in my throat as I read the names and realized how much these individual apostles had done for me. Listen to these 10 apostles who have have gone on to the spirit world. Robert D. Hales, Richard G. Scott, Joseph B. Worthlin. What I just think of, I mean, I can just picture them in my mind and hear their voice. Um, Neil A. Maxwell, David B. Haight, David B. Haight, you remember? Um, L. Tom Perry, Boyd Packer, Boyd K. Packer, James E. Faust, Thomas S. Monson, Oh, and um, the prophet of my teenage years, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley. I mean, I just read those 10 names as I was preparing for this, and it just kind of caught in my throat just how much those, those 10 men who have gone on have done for me personally. And I, was, I just had a little moment where I was, oh, wow. It's kind of took my breath away there for a second to read those names uh, again. Well, it's true because these men... These men aren't just leaders of an organization. They are apostles. They're special witnesses. They're prophets. And that means that they become part of my testimony. My witness of Christ is standing on the shoulders of their witnesses of Christ. And that strengthens my own testimony. It deepens and and helps give a foundation to my faith. And so you're right, Hank. We, we're not just reading the names of famous men or, or outstanding leaders. We're reading the, the names of men who have helped us draw closer to Christ. Yeah, it was almost as if they were, I could hear their voice kind of woven into my memory right? Uh, and I, I really just took a second, and I would encourage everybody to do that who's listening. Take a second, read through those names, and just try to hear their voice, because if you—I mean, every one of those, I can think of a talk 
that uh, a talker, many talks that had um, a serious impact on the direction of my life, um, especially President Hinckley, President Monson. Someone once asked President Nelson, when you sing, we thank thee, O God, for a prophet, who are you thinking of? Because we're all thinking of him. But when he stands there and sings the words, who's he thinking of? And he said that like President Hinckley and other prophets, he said, I think of Joseph Smith. He says, that's the prophet I'm thinking of. So even President Nelson is saying, you know, my life has been influenced by the prophets who have come before me. In a talk called Drawing the Power of Jesus Christ into Our Lives, President Nelson says, Joseph Smith, who declared emphatically that the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and ascended into heaven, and all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. And then President Nelson says, it was this very statement of the prophet that provided the incentive for 15 prophets, seers, and revelators to issue and sign their testimony to commemorate the 2000th anniversary of the Lord's birth. That historic testimony is titled The Living Christ. As you seek to learn more about Jesus Christ, I urge you to study the living Christ. And that's what we're going to do today. Let me share one last thing that I found in the footnotes of President Ballard's new biography. It's uh, on page 384, and he says this, of the living Christ and the family, a proclamation to the world, Elder Ballard said, they are going to become progressively more and more standalone doctrines as the church stands alone. Now think about it. Many of us remember when the family, a proclamation to the world was announced, and we at the time thought, well, yeah, nothing this too is, new in there. Yeah, this is obvious. This is clear. I mean, this is great to have it written down, but, but you know, what's the big deal about it? And yet now, all these years later, we know exactly what the big deal was. And I think what we need to realize is that the same thing will happen with this document. As we read through this document, we're thinking, oh, well, what's the big deal? This is what we believe about Christ. And we have to realize that we are living just 20 years after this document was signed and put out, we are living in what people are calling a post-Christian world. Elder Anderson spoke in conference a while ago and said, in the next 10 years, there will be more people leaving Christianity than entering Christianity. And so I think the same way that the family proclamation, we can now see that it was very prophetic. It was very needed. And in the same way, if we don't see it yet, we will soon see how vital it is for us to be able to refer back to this document and say, no, this is not a post-Christian world. This is a world where Christ still is our focus 
and still is the object of our worship, and he is still our exemplar, and he is still our mentor, and he lives today and is leading us today. So, kind of interesting background on the document, isn't it? Yeah, I I think that that is wonderful. One connection I made last week, John, you'll remember, uh, we had Dr. Janet Erickson here, and she made a wonderful connection between these two documents. She said, the family proclamation is an ideal, we hold it up, we want it, but it, it can be painful when we don't reach that ideal. And here, when we have the pain of not reaching the ideal of the family proclamation like we'd want, here we have our where we turn when we have pain from that, and that is to the living Christ, right? So she just said, hey, these two documents can work together uh, to give us an ideal to reach toward and um, our way to through any difficulty of, of you know, not reaching that ideal for any, for one reason or another. Oh, yeah. What a beautiful insight. And I, I think it was... Uh... Janet that mentioned uh, Elder Christofferson saying, it's not the plan of perfection, it's the plan of redemption. We have a redeemer, we need a redeemer. And the living Christ is the testimony of that redeemer that, that offers redemption from our imperfection, which I love that. In the first paragraph of the document, it says, none other has had so profound an influence upon all who have lived and will yet live upon the earth. And I, I love that statement because, you know, just as the family proclamation came, as the family was under attack, now here we're looking at the Living Christ document and realizing that in many parts of the world, Christ is coming under attack. That people are saying, we don't need to believe in him. And how does a, how does a guy's death on a cross have any, any purpose for me? Or any, how does that make any difference for me? And without this understanding, they, they're, they're so quick to dismiss Christ, and yet I love this statement because he has had a profound influence on them, even if they don't want to recognize it. You think of the Christian tradition, you think of the education that Christianity kept alive during the Dark Ages, you think of the progress in so much of the world can all trace its roots to the growth of Christianity. People are so quick to point out, oh, all these wars have been fought in the name of religion, and yet look at how much good has been done in the name of religion, especially as we look at Christianity. So, the influence that Christ has had is so strong, even in the lives of those who don't recognize it. They don't even realize that the freedom they have is because of those who believed in Christ. It's because of Christ that they enjoy some of the personal liberties that they take for granted. Brad, I'm glad you said that. That comes up in classes. Well, because Christianity has caused wars, people say, and I always love to say, well... That's not what, that's what man did to Christianity, not what Christianity did to man. A misunderstanding of things. And even the, the 12 were told, people will want to kill you and think they're doing God a favor because of misunderstandings about God. And I remember when I was uh, 
long time ago, I heard a, a evangelist on television and I went, and I went and bought this book. What if Jesus had never been born? Uh, let's see, Dr. James Kennedy. And I remember this whole book is about all of the things, uh, the things you were mentioning, Brad, uh, education, hospitals. I mean, I had no idea all of the things that were fruits of Christianity throughout history that it was really eye-opening to see what a blessing uh, the Savior has been, even in ways that people might not connect today. Well, look at how many people at Christmas time, even, even those who now say, oh, I don't believe in Christ, and yet their Christmas celebrations are such a joyous time of year for them, and they love Christmas movies, they watch all the movies on TV, and they cry, and they love the Christmas music. And and even though many of them celebrate Christmas in a way that's detached from Christ, just look at the the peace that comes during the this time of year, the joy that it brings to so many, and realize that that is because of Jesus Christ. So the influence is there, even if they choose to close their eyes to it. Um, Hank, uh, why don't you share your insight from the Bible Dictionary about uh, about miracles? Yeah, John, I can't believe you thought of that, because I was thinking that I, I'm, I'm grateful that you were good enough friends that you read my mind at this point, because that's exactly <laughs> what I thought of. Um, when If you read under miracles, uh, the little heading under in the Bible Dictionary, it says they are the natural results of the Messiah's presence, right? Not presence, but presence. Um so um, if, you, if you have Jesus around, what naturally happens? Miracles naturally happen. And I've shown my students, all of a sudden at Christmas time, what happens? People's hearts get softened, right? People uh, start giving more. They start um, just being kinder. They reach out to maybe to friends and loved ones they haven't reached out to all year. Why? Because we have Jesus's name up everywhere. We have statues of him. Uh, up around and 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 all of a sudden people get nicer. It's the natural result of having the Messiah just around us more. And what happens on December twenty sixth? We take it all down and everybody goes back to kind of being grouchy. Uh, and that could that's the natural result of not having the Messiah around so much. Is we just fall into this natural man, natural woman type slump. Look at uh, uh, the document says he went about doing good. Mm -hmm. He entreated all to follow his example. And at Christmas time, even those who may not know much about his example, they do follow that, that tendency to just be a little brighter, share a little easier, give a little more selflessly. And we see that not only at Christmas time, but for members of the church, we see it all year round. It's been fascinating during COVID to watch what's happened because not only have the church donations to fast offerings and humanitarian aid reached record numbers, but the church expenditures for fast offerings and, and humanitarian aid have reached record numbers. I mean, to the hundreds of millions of dollars. 
that have been given, not just to members of the church, but to people all around the world who are in need and who are suffering. And I just love that at this time when it was hard, and in this time when so many were struggling during this COVID pandemic, hearts were turned outward as we followed the example of the Savior and as we reached out to help others who were in need. And they have, just during 2020 itself, think of all the the service projects that have been done clear across the world because people have followed the example of the Savior and they have gone about doing good. I love that. The Christianity has done... <laughs> What does it say again? None other has had so profound an influence upon all who have lived and will yet live upon the earth. There's just nobody like it. Even even when we say the date, right? Even when someone says, oh, what year is it? 2021. Since for since when? 20, 2021 years since yeah. what? Since, since Jesus what? was born. Since Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And even though people try to say before common era and after common era, most kids have to have that explained to them. Well, what's the common era? It's <laughs> Jesus Christ. And so even when people try to hide his influence, his influence is there. I love the document testifying boldly that he is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. On our mission, we had a a woman who was a Jehovah's Witness who ended up joining the church. And I was invited to attend the baptism. So there were the missionaries and there she was getting baptized. And after her baptism, they asked her to share her testimony. There she was, her hair was wet, having just been in the font. She had just changed and she was very emotional as she stood in front of the small group that had gathered and said, now I am truly a Jehovah's Witness. And the missionaries wow. freaked out. They were like, no, no, you just joined the <laughs> Church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but those who had ears to hear understood exactly what she was saying. Now I am truly a witness. She had just covenanted in the waters of baptism. She had just covenanted to stand as a witness of God at all times in all places and to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And now she understood that Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. Now I am a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> <Wait>, <laughs> <laughs> I know the missionaries were very confused. They're like, no, no, we've been over this. <laughs> I promise, I promise, President, we've, <laughs> we've taught her. Um, another statement I love is, he was the firstborn of the Father and only begotten in the flesh. That's a statement that confuses a lot of Christians, and yet those statements are right out of Scripture. And yet, for many Christians, they can't understand how he can be the firstborn of the Father, which then says there's going to be a second or a third or a fourth born. Um, and then he's the only begotten in the flesh. And they, they don't quite understand how those two terms can coexist. And yet we understand because of our, our understanding of the pre-mortal world, we understand that he was the firstborn spirit 
child of God. And then he's the only begotten in the flesh. John, you shared with me a powerful insight the other day about why we use the King James Bible when we are talking about John 3.16. You know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The, the John 6, 3.16 verse, Elder Christofferson called it, you know, the plan of salvation in, in one verse. The uh, phrase, the only begotten son, if you find translations after King James, they don't like that word begotten. The idea that God begats, they took that out. And so you'll find in translations after the King James, uh, it will say the one and only son or something like that. They took out the begotten part. Yeah, interesting you remember that, Brad. And yet right here in the document, these brethren did not shy away from that word at all. They said he is the only begotten son in the flesh. I also love the next paragraph. As the risen Lord, he visited among those he had loved in life. He also ministered among his other sheep in ancient America. Sometimes in my classes, I'll say, since when did Jesus give a commandment that he was not willing to live? And when he said, go ye into all the world, was he telling his apostles to do something that he didn't do? He told them to get baptized and he got baptized. So he's telling them to go into all the world. And then he himself is also going to go into all the world. And we have remarkable evidence of that in the Book of Mormon, where it says not only did he visit the ancient Americas, but he also visited other parts of the world yeah. and, and his he, sheep in many places in the world. I read an article on Meridian Magazine where there was, at, in Russia, they were there was a record album cover that a famous painter had made of Jesus with Russian Orthodox, uh, ancient Russian Orthodox priests or something. And uh, this member of the church saw this album cover and said, whoa, whoa, whoa what is this? And this uh, Russian Orthodox priest, well, there's this legend that Jesus came here after he was resurrected. And uh, it was pretty fun because in my class, everybody's got laptops now. He just produced the picture right now and held it up for everybody. And this member of the church said, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're saying that you have a legend that Jesus came after his resurrection to this part of the world? Do you think that's plausible? And this priest said, you're talking about the Book of Mormon, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that, that you probably find that article, but um, that's not the only place. I've, I've heard that there are other legends about Jesus going there. I love that idea, Brad, that he told them to go into all the world and he himself went into all the world, and he told him he was going to do it. Other sheep I have, it's not you, it's not those in Jerusalem, I'm going to go see them. And he didn't say if that was in one or in many places, so I think it was probably in many places. You should hear the missionaries in the London, England mission belt out the song they sing as their mission song. And it's a song about Jesus coming to England. And it wasn't written by a member of the church. It's an ancient hymn, but it also harks back to a legend that Christ came to England. And so you start seeing these touches of, of that truth that he visited other sheep. And you start seeing touches of that clear around the world. 
I love the phrase here in the document that says, he and his father appeared to the boy Joseph Smith. You know, just as we said that Jesus has had this incredible influence in the world, we have to acknowledge the incredible influence that Joseph Smith has had in our understanding of Jesus. Some kid came to me the other day and said, Brother Wilcox, I don't believe in Joseph Smith anymore, but I still believe in God and Jesus. And I said, look, I don't want to be rude, but do you realize how silly that just sounded? And he's like, what? And I said, you just separated God and Jesus. You just made them two different individuals. Where'd you get Where that? Where did you learn to do that? <laughs> who taught you that? It was Joseph Smith who taught you that they are two individuals. And so don't tell me you don't believe in Joseph Smith anymore when your whole understanding of God and Christ can be traced back to the teachings and testimony of Joseph Smith. Right. Someone might say, you know, I don't believe in the prophet Joseph Smith anymore. I'm like, well, you don't want to be married in the next life? Uh, yeah. Well, look what you I'm going to be married in the next life. Uh, yeah. Where'd you get Joseph that doctrine? Smith's not a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So much. So many from. things like that. I think, uh, was it Derek, uh, Garrett Dirkmott that just made a list kind of just off the cuff of things that if you, if you leave, you're leaving this. Oh, I don't like the way that we haven't talked about mother in heaven. Well, you leave the church, there is no mother in heaven. Well, I don't like uh, this marriage in the next life is confusing about, you know, well, there's no marriage in the next life. You don't life. have to worry he, about and it. Yeah. He just went off uh, all these things that uh, are part of the restoration. Thanks for saying that, Brad. <laughs> well, even the document quotes Joseph Smith and says, this is the testimony, last of all, which we give of him, that he lives, for we saw him. As people are struggling to stay in Christianity, and they feel like they don't have a witness that, that they can look to, to, to be evidence for their faith, they need to realize that Joseph Smith is that witness. He saw him. Why do we believe that Jesus is real? I mean, why don't we just cave and say, oh, well, he's just a fable. Uh, he's just a myth. I mean, it's, it's just something that people made up all those years ago. Why don't we fold? Why don't we cave when people say there's nothing true in the Bible? It's just like a folk tale that's been passed down. It's oral stories that were finally written down. I mean, people are so quick to dismiss all of that. And as Latter-day Saints, we're not. We're not quick to dismiss that because we have a witness who is a modern witness, not just Joseph Smith, but even the witnesses who signed this document, who have a special witness of Jesus Christ, that strengthens our testimonies. Brad, one of the things I wanted to add today, it was a kind of a revelation to me. I didn't realize it in my master's program that just as there is kind of a continuum of liberal and conservative in politics, there's a liberal conservative continuum in Christianity. And uh, one famous example is the Jesus Seminar, I want to say the 80s, 
Does this sound familiar? They got together and kind of voted on what they really thought was in the Bible. Now, this is what Dr. Robert Millet taught me, that uh, there are people who are Bible scholars who are not Bible believers. Um, but they went through the Gospels and decided what to throw out. They threw out all of the miracles, um, the resurrection, most of the book of John, I think, uh, is what they said. And this was a new, I, I didn't know that. And this is what President Benson talked about, the Book of Mormon um, testifying of the divinity of Christ, that he's not just a great moral teacher, but he was divine, he was resurrected, the greatest miracle of all, you know. And this document testifies of that. And the Book of Mormon also uh, goes back to, no, 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 This he really was the Son of God. He really was divine. The miracles, the healing, uh, were all testified that those were real as well. So we would, we would be on the more conservative side in that continuum of Christianity that would say, no, not only was there a Jesus of Nazareth, but he was Jesus Christ. He was the Son of God. He was divine. Uh, this document testifies of it, and so does the Book of Mormon. Brad, when you mentioned the idea of why don't we just say Jesus is a myth, you know, like so many others, um, and there's this man from history who people say is pretty smart. His name is Albert Einstein. I don't know if either of you have heard of him, um, but he said, as a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. This is Albert Einstein. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we jump in to say, you know, uh, all the smart people are, are jumping in on this, Brad. Why don't we jump in? Well, Albert Einstein's pretty smart, and he, uh, he's, he's... And even he's coming from a Jewish background... right. He still recognizes the vitality of this, of the witnesses of Christ and of his life. Please join us for part two of this podcast.